Swami Krunananda, here we are. Another day. Thanks so much for being here. I'm very happy to be here, Avi. Hmm. Do you ever feel exhausted from just another day, another day, that there's no there's no stop to it? Do you ever feel like uh, you wish that we could take a break and come back to this whole life thing in a little while? You know what I mostly feel, hmm. and this is true, I feel so grateful in this lifetime that I have the privilege to serve God and Gurudev in a very direct, clear way. So no matter what happens, no matter how sort of demanding the service might be at times, the overwhelming feeling I have is gratitude mm. for the service I'm asked to do. And I'll share a story with you mm. that comes to mind when I learned the value and the real meaning and significance of karma yoga. It came at a time, it was right before the lotus opening, I was having some challenges with my health. I was living in California at the San Francisco IYI. And Gurudev called me directly. And he said, never mind all that. Come to the Lotus opening. I want you to be here. So I came, and the preparations were enormous. Hundreds and hundreds of people were engaged in a daily basis, doing so much work, which I was not able to participate in. So I was sort of staying in a trailer. <clears throat> and then one day, one of the organizers, organizers of the event came to the trailer and brought with them some linoleum and two triangle stencils and an exacto knife and they showed me how to cut triangles out of the linoleum that were going to be used as banners down at lotus it was going to be like a rope with these linoleum triangles stapled to it and then they left you have to realize at this time in my life in California, I was pretty much in charge of everything. I was director of the San Francisco IYI. I was president of Integral Yoga, the Integral Yoga Institutes, Inc. of California. I oversaw the coordination of our statewide retreats, Gurudev's visits, and everything. And here I was from one perspective, you could say reduced to making triangles out of linoleum. But I didn't feel that way. When that person left, I wept. I just wept because I realized that even in my diminished state, 
God had not forgotten me and had found something that I could do. And I remember when I went to the dedication several days later, and I saw the banners hanging all over, like around the tigers and the elephant, and my heart felt so wonderful that maybe a dozen of those little triangles, I had sat there and carefully cut out. And another thing I realized, because I couldn't be so actively involved, what I did was I spent my time praying, sending strength and energy and support for all of those who were on the front line. And what I realized afterwards, that was probably some of the purest karma yoga I had ever done because there wasn't the tiniest trace of ego in it. It was all good, all good. So the capacity to contribute to something greater than oneself, to something that one feels is meaningful and of benefit to many, many people is one of the greatest gifts that I think we can receive in life. So even though it does get demanding, exhausting, chaotic at times, even though sometimes there are very strong differences of opinion that you have to grapple with, no matter what the challenge the defining feeling for me is always that gratitude that God has not forgotten me and has still been able to find uses for this little instrument he created. Do you think that feeling is universal to, to be useful, uh, to have a purpose to your life that contributes to the greater good beyond yourself? I think it's fundamental. I think what everyone seeks to feel is that they are valued. And they are valued both for who they are and that what they contribute, whatever it may be, is valued as well. And do you think in today's world... Um, just growing population and more of this interconnectivity between all of us. So we're constantly being shown examples of other people and their lives that it's a common feeling to think, well, who am I? What can I do? Uh, There's so many other people out there. There's so many people that do everything better than me. And therefore, perhaps that leads into depression and the opposite of what we're talking about, this feeling that, you know, what am I? I'm not special. There's all these other people doing incredible things. What's the point? Wrong thinking. Hmm. Each one of of us is created special and unique for a purpose. And if we weren't needed— In this creation, the breath would stop 
filling our lungs. You make me think of a little story from the Ramayana, one of India's great epics. Sita, the wife of Lord Rama, was kidnapped and taken to Sri Lanka. So to rescue her, Rama decided to build a bridge from India to Sri Lanka. So all the great bears and all the great and powerful monkeys came to help Rama build his bridge. And as they were in the midst of the work, they noticed this little creature, this little chipmunk that somehow was scrambling between their feet, between their efforts, carrying little twigs and little leaves and depositing them on the pile. And it was so fervent and energetic that it caught everyone's attention. And they all stopped, and they were watching this little creature. And one of them started laughing and said, little chipmunk, what do you think you're doing? And the chipmunk said, I'm helping Rama build his bridge. And they all laughed at him and said, what sort of contribution do you think you're making? I mean, the pathetic little twigs and leaves that you're adding, what can that do? At that point, Lord Rama came, picked up the little chipmunk, and stroked him in blessing. Because that little chipmunk was giving every ounce of heart, energy, capacity that he had, and he drew the attention of the divine and God's grace. And they say that's why the chipmunk to this day has stripes. Mm. And on reflecting on that story, what I thought was, okay, they're all bringing big boulders and big trees, but what's the glue that's holding them together? And probably those little leaves and those little twigs, when wet and moistened, became like the paste or the grout that held the whole bridge together. Sometimes our contributions are invisible when it comes to their force and impact in the world, but that doesn't make them not important. In fact, in life we see sometimes the invisible is more powerful than the visible. Compare an atom to a bullet. A bullet can do so much harm, an atom so much tinier, if you harness it in the wrong way, can do millions of times more harm, has tremendous power. The other thing I consider listening is what's the other option too, aside from getting into the effects of uh, the results of what it is that I'm doing, what other option is there aside from trying to be useful or trying my best in this life? The other, the other option is what? Throwing in the towel and, and giving up? Yeah. How is that going to make me feel? So for me right. personally, I can say that is the only option. There isn't mm-hmm. another option. Yeah. 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 
Each one's attitude and each one's efforts support the whole. Any one of us gets depressed or sort of falls down, we're all impacted. Any one of us has a good spirit and a good energy lifts Mm. all of us. Mm. We're all connected, as you said. Mm. The other thing you mentioned was uh, prayer, okay? Um, And I'm just going to share actually a little bit personally because um, this was a dramatic point in my life. Uh, I realized that for the majority of my life, I never believed that there was energy that emanated outside of my being, okay? So what I was thinking, what was happening internally, I never considered that it it was moving beyond the outer layers of my skin. And then at some point I reflected on this and and tuned in and really asked myself, mm-hmm. you know, what do I believe? And I came to the conclusion that that yes, it really it is doing something yes. and no one else might notice what the effects are. Um, but prayer and being in a state of love and uh, connection, all of that, mm-hmm. is that also your experience that something is happening, that some type of energy is is being given off? And then if so, isn't that great purpose for mm-hmm. our lives, no matter where we find mm-hmm. ourselves, that we can all contribute in that way mm-hmm. by kind of giving off loving vibrations? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what my experience is, that energy, that higher consciousness is present everywhere always, and we can connect with it in a tangible way and draw all the strength, guidance, and support we need. It's like a big source of energy. We're like little batteries. We can plug in and draw what we need through one-pointed focus, faith, and devotion. It is always accessible to us. Sometimes people ask the question, does God exist? For me, that's a very boring question. I don't care about the question. For me, the interesting question is, does God care. I don't care about a God that simply exists and orders the spheres and whatnot. That to me is not interesting. What is interesting to me is that higher power, does it care? And in the particular, I will ask, does it care about me? And in asking that, I am asking, does it care about each and every one of us? And the resounding answer to that question that I have experienced over and over and over again is yes. And it wants to communicate with us. It wants, but we're usually too busy, too distracted, or the channel of communication is turned off. When we uh, initiate the witness consciousness, Mm -hmm. I'm watching my thoughts. I'm watching my life. Is that uh, is that plugging in to this energy, and is that connecting with more of uh, mm-hmm. the connection to 
this God who mm-hmm. cares, would you say? Absolutely. But I would just frame that a mm-hmm. little differently. It's tuning in, but not necessarily by a devotional pathway, by more an intellectual or analytical pathway. They're equally good. When we speak about prayer, we're usually coming from a bhakti yoga approach, a dualistic approach. So you feel that you are connecting with a higher power, however you conceive that to be. When you instead focus on the witness, you're not doing a dualistic approach. You're doing more what could be called a monistic approach. Rather than beginning with having the God something other than you, you're going right to feeling that higher power, that self within you. You get to the same ultimate goal, but it's a different pathway, equally good. Hmm. The great um, yogi, philosopher, reformer of India, Shankaracharya, once said, Parabhakti, or supreme devotion, and Parayanam, supreme wisdom, ultimately get you to the same point but it's by a different pathway. Hmm. So the witness is the yana yoga approach, the prayer, the bhakti yoga approach. And can those two things play off of each other? That, um, you know, as I'm witnessing or uh, remembering Mm -hmm. intellectually, Mm -hmm. that reminds me um, of my devotional Mm -hmm. path. So one kind of plugs into the other, or the other Mm -hmm. one plugs into... I think we're all a mixture we're all a combination, you can say, of will, intellect, and emotion. So emotion corresponds to the devotional bhakti yoga path. Yana yoga, the intellectual path. The will is often seen as corresponding to the fullness of the raja yoga path, which also embraces the other two. We're all a blend of will, intellect, and emotion, and I'd say we favor one or the other, different percentages, and at different times, we may sort of function more in one mode or the other. Hmm. Yeah, but we're not sort of, it's rare to find a person who's just on one track, and that's why Gurudev liked the Raja Yoga, because it embraces all, and everyone can find their own blend that fits their nature their personality, their character. That's one thing I always really appreciated about Swami Satchidananda as a spiritual teacher. He never, ever tried to push everyone into the same mold. He laid out a big table, and we could all come and eat what suited our constitution and temperament. And would it have worked another way? Would it have been the same if he had tried to push everyone into one mold? Would what have worked? Like, would um, would people have become so devoted to integral yoga and and him and what he was sharing? Was was that not an essential part for many people that he was offering and saying, if this feels mm-hmm. right to you, mm-hmm. take this path? I'm sure. Two things. One. 
His main scripture is the Patanjali Yoga Sutras, and that was Sri Patanjali's approach. Very inclusive, very all-embracing. In one part, in book one, for example, he gives a whole list, several sutras called the, the oars, we sometimes call them, different ways one could meditate. He gives this whole list, and then he ends with, what, Sutra 39 in book one, where he says, or choose anything that you like that elevates you. Mm. That's what. So I think that's part of Gurudev's nature. Plus, he saw the Western mindset and temperament, and it was very clear you needed a broad palette Mm. to attract those people, because very free, independent spirit we see in the West. Yeah, making that choice yourself, to me, seems like all the difference, that it doesn't, if you're dragged along, uh, that just doesn't do it, I don't think. So there's really not another way, right? And and, and maybe you have a short-term gain, right, by dictating to someone else, Mm -hmm. you know, do this and do that, and Mm -hmm. they're just obeying what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And and so you achieve those Mm short-term gains. But in the long run, without that that personal reflection and saying, Mm -hmm. okay, this is the path I choose, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. it seems key, right? Absolutely. And I'll get back to Swami Satchidananda again. Part of his teaching style was to give the teachings, adapt them to the Western culture, and if ever there were objections or doubts, he would take the time to explain and try to convince the minds of the people of the benefits, the reason, the purpose behind, and then it's your choice what you want to do. Mm. That's what. Mm. For me, spiritual life is primarily about freedom. Freedom from all that limits us, physically, mentally, emotionally, on every level, to be free. Is, uh, you mentioned gratitude before. Is the feeling of gratitude, of being grateful, of appreciating this experience, is that liberating? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you found that it's, you know, maybe common to have the mindset of of feeling entitled? You know, even in the language, I think that we speak a lot, you know, when I'm this age, uh, you know, when I have a child, when I become married, we speak as if we're entitled to these things happening in our lives. But Hmm. if we look at nature... We know that that's not always the case. Nature doesn't Mm -hmm. work that way. Mm -hmm. Um, So the practice of gratitude, does it kind of flip this over and instead focus on what I have and feeling content in the present as opposed to having expectations for all the things that I desire in the future? I think we should be grateful for all the blessings we have in our lives. I don't think gratitude means complacent. We can still have our plans, 
our aspirations and put full-hearted efforts to attain those things, but all the while knowing man proposes, God disposes. Mm. You know, we can make our plans, put in our efforts, and then be at peace with what unfolds. That gratitude embraces that approach. But gratitude is not complacency. It doesn't mean you stop. Right. And I actually think that it has this other power in a way to um, clear clear the path, so mm-hmm. to speak, um, uh-huh. with that just, oh, I don't it, – because it's not a clinging in the same kind of way, right? Mm-hmm. That This has to happen. If it happens, great. If it doesn't, mm-hmm. but – I'm still going to go after it. And maybe right. the way that you go after it is, mm-hmm. is, is filled with a lot more art and a lot more grace yeah. because, you know, you have that perspective. Mm-hmm. And what you mentioned too makes me think of the American kind of men, uh, mentality that's perpetuated to be extremely ambitious and to get to your goals mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, even if you have to knock everyone else out of the right. way. Um this other way that you're talking about, okay, I still can have a goal and something that my heart is telling me mm-hmm. to do, but I also understand that I'm connected to something larger and the way that I go about, I'm not just going to throw out all my m- morals right. in order to get to that place. Right. Absolutely. It's interesting. The Sanskrit word for faith is shraddha. And I researched that word to see sort of the greater meaning of it. And it's not like a sentiment or an emotion. And it's not passive by any means, just sitting there and waiting for the universe to do its thing. It's conviction, strong belief, but it's even more than that. It's conviction backed by effort. So you believe in something. It could be the higher power. It could be goals in life. And then you put your energy behind connecting, behind manifesting. So it's dynamic. It's dynamic. It's like the Islamic saying, trust in God and tie up your camel. Mm. You don't just sit there. You do what you've been given the capacity to do. Yeah, it takes me Mm. back to how we began with usefulness, Mm -hmm. right? We all want to be useful. That's what. No one wants to sit around not having any kind of purpose in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you if you would mind sharing about your relationship with Gurudev and what that was like. It's hard to talk about in one way because it's so deep and so profound. And on the other hand, if one started talking, you could talk probably (laughs) for several weeks nonstop. But I'll, I'll tell you this. The first time I heard about Gurudev, A friend called me to tell me that he was going to a lecture by a Swami. And I asked, 
what is this Swami's name? This is back in the 60s, so this was all very new. And he said, Swami Satchidananda. I heard his name, and everything inside of me stopped. And I knew in that instant that life as I had known it was going to dramatically change and never be the same again. That was in April of 1970. I first met Gurudev in September of 1970 on a retreat in California. I looked at him the first time. I looked at him and he looked at me. Something happened inside me. Something quickened. Something awakened. It was a disorienting experience. I had no context to explain what it was. And on that retreat, every morning and every evening, he came and taught about Raja Yoga. And tears just rolled down my eyes the whole time. I felt like something that had been barren, unwatered for eons, was being watered again. And I guess the primary emotion I had at that time was extraordinary gratitude. Extraordinary gratitude. It was beyond life transforming. It was soul awakening. The retreat was five days long, 1970, so what is it, 50 years ago? I never came off that retreat. Five days. Changed my life, not only forever, eternally, eternally. And for me, I lived in California during my formative years. Gurudev spent most of his time on the East Coast, so it wasn't like constant interaction. But his teachings were there to guide me every moment, every step of the way. Our practices, our attitude, the six branches of integral yoga began to inform every moment of my life. And for me personally, there was the grace that whenever I needed to speak to him personally about something really of great magnitude that I could not resolve myself or through discussions with others, no matter where he was, anywhere in the world, no matter what he was doing, anywhere in the world, I would pick up that phone and he would be on the other end. And not that the conversations were easy, (laughs) necessarily, but the wisdom and the grace and the guidance were always there. And I always felt deep down 
that if only I could connect with him, whatever the situation was, whatever the outcome was, it would be okay because it was enveloped in the knowledge of his grace. And that was enough for me. And today, too, even though he is not physically present, my heart reaches out to connect in the same way. Even before I came here today to speak with you, to this day, every time I'm about to do a program, give a talk, teach a class, whatever, before I leave, I stand before my altar in my room and I pray. And I say, Gurudev, please be with me, be in my heart, be in my words, and please make whatever I have to share be useful. And then I head out. And then Om Tat Sat. Yeah. It's not my responsibility. Mm. I just show up. Mm. I just show up. Thank you for sharing that. I want to ask you about you, what you mentioned as far as something going barren yeah. at first in your life. Mm-hmm. Back, I know this perhaps a long time ago, but what is it that went barren? How did it go barren before it was watered again? It's not that it went barren. I was born with this feeling within that there was a space within me that nothing was fulfilling. Not relationships, not work, not future possibilities. In school, originally, I was in a pre-med science program. That's what my life track was going to be because I thought to myself, I want to be useful. I made this decision when I was in sixth grade. Mm. I remember I was walking up a street in Brooklyn, and I was thinking, what do I want to do with my life? And I said, I want to help people. So I thought, with my little 10-year-old mind, and I said, well, what's the best way to help people? And I concluded to try to remove their suffering, their pain. So then I asked myself, what's the best way to do that? And the best model for me was be a doctor, Mm. relieve their physical suffering. So from that moment, that was the track I was on. As that unfolded, after about three and a half years, I realized my focus and interest was shifting. And it's interesting, I realized this years later, My interest focused when Gurudev came to New York City and was living a few blocks from where I was living Mm -hmm. and going to college. I didn't make that connection for many years, but I started shifting from the physical science to the philosophy of science. I started reading Zen stories. I got interested in the pre-Socratic philosophers, very yogic in their thinking. And I switched my major from science to philosophy. I did an extra year just to philosophy. I used to lie awake at night pondering questions. 
what is the meaning of life? How do I know? How do I think? How does language reflect thought? How does that reflect reality? Is that reality? If we see all these changes, mustn't there be something beyond the changes that's unchanging for us to be able to perceive it? I won't go further in the (laughs) ruminations my mind pursued, but I wound up with more questions than answers. And on that first retreat with Gurudev, when he gave the Raja Yoga teachings, for the first time in my entire life, I felt all my questions were answered. I understood things in another way. For the first time in my life, I knew peace, profound peace. So I looked at him and I felt that peace that I was craving, that complete fulfillment that I saw in him, that unconditional love that absolutely embraced everyone. I took a look at that and I said, that's what I want. Mm. So that's when I determined I'm going to try everything he said and see what happens because he's got it. I want it. So let me see if it will work little by little for me. So it was always a sense of a deeper place that no thing no person, no attainment could reach. It was deeper. And that's what I wanted to access and fully awaken and experience. Is this deeper thing related to acceptance? It's the divine within you. Hmm. It's that is the source. You can use whatever language you want. I'm devotional in my approach, so I will say the divine. But source, or the true unchanging awareness, whatever you want to call it, but it's the ultimate presence, power, consciousness, wisdom, strength, love, beauty that permeates this, uh, permeates and supports this universe. When we tap into that, is it just this, ah, that's what I mean by acceptance and related to faith too. It's like, yes, I just a part of something that's unfolding and I accept it all. I accept myself. I accept Mm -hmm. what's happening and Mm -hmm. therefore I can be peaceful. Well, what you're describing is another process. It isn't a therefore I can Mm. and it's not something that's verbalized in that way. Afterwards, it could be verbalized, but the experience itself is not something that can be verbalized. It just is. It just is. It's beyond words. Beyond words. Right? And you mentioned words to end language and having this interest in in language, right? Do you think that we rely too heavily on language without remembering that this is just a construct, mm-hmm. right? All language is mm-hmm. trying to point at something exactly. that is not 
that actual thing. Exactly. Exactly. What always fascinates me, I had two experiences that fascinated me and drove home that exact point. One was a nature walk once, and another was sort of an astronomy tour at night. So before the nature walk, I didn't know anything about any of the plants. And as we went on the walk, the person gave names to them. And after the walk, all of a sudden, I felt I knew something. I didn't know anything. <laughs> I was the same fool I was before, before the walk. But now that I had a label, mm. I had this illusion of knowing something. The same thing with naming the constellations. Now I knew something. I didn't know anything. But I had ascribed labels mm. to the things. Language is, in a way, one of our most powerful tools but it has its limitations. And I think the way you put it is absolutely perfect. It points to something. That's why I love the Tamil word. One of the Tamil words for God is karavul. It consists of two words, kata and ul. Kata means get, ul means within. So the word for God mm. is not some flowery description, it's get within. Mm. It's pointing in mm. a direction. Do you find that mm. speed is a important point at play here? Meaning that if we can just slow down, if we do slow down, then we can see more of the truth. But this speed to which I think many of us are living our lives. And there's yeah. so many distraction, distractions yeah. now that there isn't the time or it's so easy to, to mm -hmm. not ask the questions and maybe really not feel. Mm. Mm -hmm. Of the two things you said, I think the distractions is the more overriding factor. Because if your mind is really clear and focused, you can do things very quickly. Mm. Speed isn't a problem. The distractions, though, diminish and compromise the quality of the mind. One thing Swami Shivanandaji once said, this idea of multitasking, you know, we think we're multitasking. Only an advanced yogi can truly multitask. What most of us do is we jump quickly from one thing to another. So our mind never really brings its full quality and focus to the task or object at hand. That's the problem. And our dependence on computers just complicates that and increases it. I can speak for myself. I'll be working, let's say, on an article. I just did an article for our magazine for example, and you're on the computer and you hit sort of like maybe a snag or a block in what you're going to do. The normal approach, the approach I would have when I'd be there with pen and pad, you take a few breaths, you pause, you let your mind relax, and then you refocus. But what do you do when you're on the computer? Oh, I think I'll check my email. Huh. What's happening in the news? And an hour later, you're back 
and you've diminished the quality of your focus. And it takes longer, speaking about speed, mm. because you've been distracted. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. I feel um, what's happening now, you know, in in the world, and we can look at some of the tendencies and say maybe this isn't so healthy. Mm -hmm. But for me, that's a bit of a trap too, because it has the potential to uh, question my faith at mm. the same time, because then I could feel critical and say, oh, you know, the way things are going, it's just getting worse and worse and things are, mm -hmm. are crumbling. Um, but then I check myself and say, I, I don't know. And and I trust. And then mm -hmm. maybe even also admit, I mean, the com computer is a great example, right? Yeah. What the example that you gave, you know, mm -hmm. easily distract ourselves. Mm -hmm. And um, but then the way that we connect mm -hmm. with each other and the way that we can share truth right. and, and all of that. Right. So is it important to kind of focus on both sides, spend time in both mm -hmm. areas um, and kind of lead a, a balanced perspective? Absolutely. I think the key is you are, I'll put it in these terms, the master of the computer, mm -hmm. not the slave of the computer. Or what happens frequently today, you don't become addicted to it. Mm -hmm. I think there's prevalent addiction to our electronic devices today, which is compromising sometimes the quality of our person-to-person -person interactions and other potentials we could awaken within ourselves. I think we have great power, great capacity, great and new gifts available to us through the technology but we have to have the balance and use the gifts and watch how our time is being spent as well. Mm. I can be honest about myself in that regard. I get up in the morning, and usually before I meditate, I need a beverage. Just my system needs to drink something before I begin my pranayama and meditation. So I'm there drinking my beverage, and every day there's the temptation. Why should I waste this time? I might as well check my email. That's what. What happens when you check your email? You never know what you're going to find. And then you'll feel some things need immediate attention. They can't wait. And you're off and running. And you've sacrificed that precious time, especially the first thing you do when you get up in the morning. The mind is like a blank slate. Whatever you do makes deep impressions. You sacrifice a little of that precious time to really go within, to abide in your center to experience the peace so that you can then move forward with greater clarity and balance and understanding through life. Mm -hmm. So me, I'm talking about me with fifth, over 50 years on the spiritual path, can see, I can see in my mind what could be understood as 
addictive pathways, wanting to pull me in the name of economizing my time, being most efficient. It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. And if I experience that, I can extrapolate many, many more people. Am I right? Yeah, for sure. Do so as well. So that's what, not that we can't use the gifts of connectivity, greater access to information, being able to reach out to one another, but not at the expense of other things, other qualities that need to be developed, and not to the point that that begins controlling or determining our choices. Because again, I'll go back to what I said earlier, spiritual life is all about freedom. And some people with their electronic devices, they are not free. They are not free. They're tethered to them. I mean, that's the idea of addiction. If you're addicted to that's something, what? you're not free. Exactly. You need it. Exactly. Now, I've, I've heard about studies where they take people's devices away for a week or so. It's, it's like going through withdrawal. And I've also heard about people in the tech industry, what they're looking for are opportunities, programs where they can unplug for several days to restore and rejuvenate themselves. Mm. So it's about balance, using the gifts and knowing the limitations and not sacrificing other things. And is could gratitude possibly be a tool to use um, to deal with addictions in a way or to temper our relationships to other things, right? Because it seems to me that maybe there's a connection between feeling a lack and being addicted mm. to something. So if instead mm. I feel full and I'm appreciative of this experience of being alive and, and everything is just mm -hmm. uh, accepted for how it is, then where is the, the need for anything else? Right, so the feeling of contentment in itself is is maybe on the other end mm -hmm. of of addiction. I think that's very perceptive. I think it's a very powerful insight. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and Gurudev talks about contentment a lot. I mean, I just <laughs> hear in my head him him saying, "Contentment is golden." <laughs> yeah. 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 Thank you so much, Swamiji. I've really appreciated this time. Thank you, Avi. It's mm. been fun. A delight. Mm. Om Shanti. Om Shanti. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this content and think others might as well, please feel free to share and subscribe.